welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. All right, well, we're back again for another quick follow-up podcast like I told you a little bit ago uh, if I'm down doing it then that's the time to do it so a lot of times the hardest part about getting something done is being able to stop and focus on getting it done so uh, I think everything in this podcast has been really good there's I always appreciate everyone out there uh, asking the questions that you do like I said a lot of it is regurgitation to a point but there's also times where there's just the slightest bit of variance from one question to the next to where maybe I can get in and get a little bit more detailed or a little bit more technical um, in relation to these subjects particularly so um, just going to jump right into some more questions here and this one's coming from Eric Zetchman Uh, he's asking about kisser button pros and cons um, and if he said, if I find time to do this question, then he's going to buy a hat. So I appreciate you buying the hat. Um, kisser buttons, you know, I think at a fixed distance, I think for the average, you know, guy that's a bow hunter or 3d guy, I think a kisser button isn't a bad idea because, um, typically you're not having to change your anchor position too much, um, or your head position because, for the most part, you're only shooting to about 50 yards. Um, and I think a small kisser button, like an eliminator button or something small, is going to be what you want rather than something big. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in minimizing the amount of weight that you have in the center of your bowstring. So the reason I don't shoot those is because I really don't like to have added weight. That's why I have tied knocks, tied loop. Um, you know, I just really try to keep minimalized weight in the center of my string, uh, which does help, you know, reduce string oscillation, um, and increase accuracy in my opinion, when it comes to actual, what the string is doing. However, if you're not consistent with your anchor, your face position, then you're going to have inaccuracy anyway. So, um, what I found Back when I started shooting longer distances, like for Fido, where you have to stretch out to 70 and 90 meters, um, and then you have to come up and shoot short as well, I just personally found that my kisser buttons started to feel uh, started to feel different when I had to kind of change the my anchor position or my face, you know, the position of my head slightly in order to be able to look through my peep properly at 70 meters or 90 meters versus 30 meters and like when I'd go out to shoot like Redding where you're shooting from three feet out to a you know out to past 100 yards um, having that kisser button that made you kind of stay in the exact same position all the time um, wasn't something I was comfortable with you know I like to be able to if my sight is moved way to the top of my sight housing I like to be able to, you know, you might have to push your nose a little bit harder on the string so that you can 
still center your scope, which is way at the top of your scale um, in your peep sight versus, you know, when you're, when your sights, you know, more in the middle of the range, you know, you can do it with just anchoring and t having the string just barely on the tip of your nose. And then likewise, when it's, uh, when you're shooting with your sight way at the bottom of your scale, I found the same thing, you know, that slight inconsistency in how much pressure I had on that kisser button was more of a distraction versus just focusing on the parts of the shot which I think are relevant which is you know your anchor position and then your head position and actually the way that I do it I have four reference points anyway um, you know when I come to an anchor I have my anchor position the string comes along the corner of my mouth so I actually feel the top edge of my serving right at the corner of my mouth right on the corner whisker of my mouth then as I turn my head towards the string I feel I have the string exactly on the tip of my nose and I don't put too much pressure there I just have slight pressure on the tip of my nose and then obviously I'm looking through my peep sight and I'm able to center my peep and my scope housing. So I have my anchor, uh, light string pressure on the corner of my lip, tip of my nose, and looking through the center of my eye. It's like four reference points. So in my opinion, I've always just thought that was enough. Um, sometimes even just tying a taking some serving material and tying a little bit of a ball on your string right where it's kind of touching the corner of your mouth that's ultimately going to act just like a kisser button um, but have much less weight so that would probably be um, a better option for you if you do if you do choose to do that um, I've just always found more importance in consistency in an acre point versus consistency in a kisser button a lot of people when they shoot a kisser button they just get in the habit of pulling that back to the corner of their mouth and that's really what they focus on the most um, and they don't really think about the other parts of the shot element that I think are actually more important so by eliminating that kisser button it's almost like kind of a, a quick reference tool um, you, you have to focus on some of those other aspects that I believe carry a little bit more of importance um, next question here is from Terry Schlund um, he's saying he's asking what it takes for long range accuracy tuning wise and with your bow setup sight level and rest well the one thing I'm going to tell you Terry is uh, you're going to learn a lot about every single one of those elements that you just asked me about if you start to become a long-range shooter. Um, the one thing long-range shooting does is it adds a magnifying glass to the things that you're doing wrong. It's going to magnify any types of inconsistencies that you have. And for me, you know, back in um, like 2004 and 2005, you know, I logged just over... 35,000 arrows shot um, during those you know each year and most I would say over 30,000 of those were all shot at either 70 or 90 meters um, even though I shot a lot of shorter stuff the only short stuff I really shot for practice was just to make sure my sight scales were correct 
and when I was in tournaments, I would shoot closer distances. But I always felt that um, if I got in the habit of shooting at longer distances, the shorter ones would always be easier. And it is true. And um, I think some of the a little bit of the heat that I get now on the hunting show is from the average bow hunter guy that probably doesn't know me as a competitor and sees a 50 yard shot or slightly longer shot on an animal and thinks that you know that accuracy wise that starts to um tread too closely to ethics but honestly i feel more confident at those distances than i do up close because that's where i always practice that was kind of my home i mean uh if i don't know if i have any i might post a picture to you but you know back when i lived in wisconsin um i had a, a 70 and 90 meter range right out of my garage door so uh, kind of my habit was to get a cup of coffee I'd open the garage door and I would be staring at a target at 90 meters and I would you know sit there and shoot 100 arrows in the morning and then I'd go to go to work um, during my during my lunch hour I'd shoot 100 arrows and then at night I came home and um, I would enjoy the sunset and shoot another 100 arrows or so um, at that distance and normally at work I shot 70 meters um, unless it was indoor season but if it was outdoor season I'd mainly shoot at 70 or 100 um, and then you know at home I almost always shot at 90 just because that was uh, the distance that I had sometimes if I was shooting field archery uh, or if I had field archery tournaments coming up I would just shoot at 60 meters all the time but what I'll tell you is a lot of these small things that I talk about, a lot of the things that I talked about in this podcast I did just right before this one, those small little details about like hand position and release angle and finger extension, um, small things like how to focus on contracting that bicep as soon as that arrow as soon as that release clicks and you know that your shot is happening that conscious thought of flexing that rear bicep just so that you can get in the habit of pulling that release hand over the top of your shoulder all those little things are things that i learned from being out on the long distance range and being like wait a minute my pin was right on the target and that thing's a foot left you know or whatever it is and it's just the magnifying glass you just start to realize small variances my hand position felt a little bit different you know my release hand I had my fingers extended my release was right out on the edge of my fingers so when my release actually fired I wasn't able to really pull my arm around because I was already overextended so when I shot my hand just kind of came straight down away from my face and again there goes a you know a left arrow so you just learn all those small little things you start to learn about the difference of if you're shooting a really big peep sight at a longer distance just even when you're making good shots how much it would 
help if you had a smaller peep sight to where you know that little less margin of error around your scope housing how all of a sudden that just starts to tighten those groups up shows you the difference of you know whoa this arrow is a foot out of the group i wonder why and you get down there and you realize oh that's that's that one arrow that i had left over from last year i wonder why it's shooting different than everything else well maybe a different buddy of yours fletched it on a different jig so it has a half a degree difference in offset on the veins or maybe it's a left helical instead of a right you know all that little stuff just starts to pop up and you start to see um every single thing that has importance and that starts to matter so you know i start out by setting up my bow same way as what i'm doing on the the, uh, the tv show this year the knocked and ready to rock segment um I work on setting up my bow. I'll check it through paper first just to make sure I don't have any clearance issues. Then once I do that, I'll go out and uh, I'll shoot it for groups. Um, I'll kind of play around with my peak poundage on my bow just to try to um, try to really f somewhat fine tune that uh, spine, uh, I guess, the spine balance with the bow that I'm shooting to try to make sure that my horizontal impact line is is as narrow as I can get it uh, initially, and you know make sure that I'm shooting a poundage and getting the speed that I want, and then from there I'll move into doing my walk back tuning um, to make sure that my center shot and everything is the way that it wants to be, and then from there I think my bows are almost 90% done you know really within those few things a matter of maybe 30 minutes and then once once that's done then I can start playing with the small things if I'm building a new setup like okay well what if I try the 100 grain points what if I try the 120 grain points and once I get a bow that I know is shooting up to the level that I shoot then I just start putting time behind it, start focusing on execution. You know, every year, what a lot of the top-level archers love about getting outside and shooting at the longer distance isn't necessarily because the weather is nice, but also the fact that you really start to um, start to see small small flaws that maybe have developed over the winter, and the fact that you're sitting there at a stagnant one distance, just shooting at 20 yards all you know winter long. You start to see all those little small things, you know, start to realize, oh, I'm not following through as good as I was, or, you know, my bow arm's coming down a little bit. So, you know, that's, those are the things that you're going to learn, um, you know, when you start shooting long distance, you know, you're also going to, you'll also learn a lot about, you know, making sure that you're, your arrows are matched really good with your bow. Otherwise, even if your bow is shooting perfectly, you know, a hundred percent awesome. If you don't have the right arrow in it, it's only going to ever perform as good as the arrow that you put in it. That I can tell you. Um, leveling your sight absolutely critical. You're going to start to learn that the small things. If you're shooting at longer distances, especially if you get on any type of slope, you'll start to learn how important it is for your second third axis to be exactly perfect because all of a sudden you start shooting a 60 meter shot with with a five or six degree slope and your bubble is a quarter bubble off and you start you know 
accidentally putting a quarter bubble the wrong way just because you think you're leveling your bow but you're really not you all of a sudden start seeing well why is it at 60 meters when I shoot this shot I'm just shooting a half inch out the right of the spot but then when I do this this shot over here where it's downhill I'm shooting a half inch out to the left of the spot you know those are all the small things that you'll start to learn so get out there and do it um the best way to learn is by all of a sudden seeing these mistakes pop up and instead of you saying what does it take to be a long range archer you're going to start saying hey when i'm shooting at long distance i always have like five arrows that are low why is that you know you'll start to you'll start to have those questions then you'll you'll either be asking those questions or you're going to do some research and you'll find out and you'll start to see yeah a lot of people shooting you know at the longer distance the first time with a kisser button you know they start to because they're focusing on that kisser button on one spot on their mouth you actually notice that your your uh your sight is actually not perfectly centered in your peep your sight's actually your bubbles almost towards the bottom of your sight you know so Instead of you moving away from your kisser button a little bit so that you can perfectly center that scope when it's all the way down at the bottom of your slider, uh, instead of doing that, you're kind of just stopping and, and not truly centering your peep in your housing. So you're actually not getting that full distance and you're just falling right out the bottom. So, you know, it's the small things like that that you'll start to learn and you'll start to have questions on. And those are all going to be the things that are going to make you an unbelievable archer up close um i remember in i guess i gotta look back here i've got a bunch of medals hanging up in here from when i shot in the australian nationals and i believe it was 2005 um i was shooting with clint freeman and i had a practice round at 90 meters the wind was calm and i remember uh i shot i think i shot six 59s uh in a row so i shot a a 354 at 90 meters during our six practice ends and i was on the target with with clint and possibly pat coglin i don't know if pat was on my target that day or if it was the second day pat was on my target um actually no it was that day because um i actually have a picture that day with those two guys and uh i remember after that last practice end clint looked over to me and he said dudley you better not break my 90 meter record on my own on my own range and I just I said well I can't help how I'm shooting dude I said this bow feels so good and um after that 15 minute break the wind picked up and I uh luckily for Clint the wind picked up I guess I'll just leave it at that so it was a little bit trickier learning to you know learning to battle the wind learning to uh to you know use your bubble to compensate for wind it's just a little bit trickier but what i'll tell you is um shooting at that distance at 90 meters that day shooting that whole practice end at 90 and i guess the point i was originally trying to make i kind of fell back into a pretty fun memory that day but the point i was trying to make was when i knew that i was going there i knew 
with any feet around, what really makes or breaks your feet around is your 90 meter, your 90 and your 50 meter scores. So, um, because it was, uh, you know, I think it was winter time. I was, yeah, it was, because actually I remember shoveling. I had, I had to get a snow plow to plow a path down to my target from the garage. Um, but for two months, the only distance I shot, because everything was snowed under in Wisconsin, I would open up my garage door a little bit. I had a ready heater in there, and I just shot 90 meters every single arrow. That's it. And... I remember when we moved to 70 meters after that 90 meter round, we mo- they moved the targets up to 70 meters. I remember pulling back and looking through my scope and looking at my dot on the gold at 70 meters. And I actually let down and I, I said, I go, is that the right target? And Clint's like, what do you mean? And I said, that gold looks so big right now. And he kind of looked at me like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? And it was probably a good little mental tactic, I guess, but it was because I had been seeing that small gold dot in my scope for so many months that when that target got moved 20 meters closer, it looked like the sun in my scope. There was so much yellow in there, and I just felt like I just felt like I was had my pin kind of holding it you know i felt like i had this little bitty dot in something the size of a barn just trying to sit there holding around in the gold because the gold just looks so big to me because i'd been sitting there really focusing on just shooting my target at one distance because i couldn't move it up any closer it was frozen in the ground and um so i think you're gonna if you haven't been a long range shooter you got to get out there and do it. It's really fun to watch arrows fly, and it's good exercise. You, uh, you know, you shoot arrows, you go down and pull, you come back. You know, if you had a pedometer on you, um, and you practice at a hundred, you know, at a hundred yards every day, you'll actually lose weight. Be a good way to get fit as well. So, hope that helped you, Terry. Appreciate the question too. Uh, kind of kicked me through a little memory lane there so that was kind of fun i uh i do truly miss some of those memories that i used to have um, back when i competed so uh, it was fun remembering that day so um the next question here is uh from my man chuck cooley uh appreciate everything you do chuck um you know that you're a great guy and done a lot for archery i uh, can't thank you enough and uh do a great job representing all the brands that you that you shoot for so uh, kind of feels feel privileged that you're asking me a question so um chuck is asking how do you keep the competitive fire lit without being a jerk and uh this is this is actually such a good question um he says it's there then it embers then it rages like a seven seven alarm all hands on fire then dies down again then rages again how do you keep the you know quote killer i'm crushing this course and everybody on it today attitude without being that guy out at the range um it's pretty 
it's a pretty fine line there, man. Um, everybody falls on one side or, or the other of it. You know, there's... Uh, that's... Um, I don't want to be that guy right now answering the question, Chuck, to be honest with you. Um, it's a very fine line, and it really just comes down to comes down to who you're around and comes down to how bad you want it sometimes. Um, obviously, there's archers out there that do not do a good job balancing it and uh, are unbelievable archers, but very well hated. Uh, there's also archers out there that are extremely loved, but uh, a lot of times that gets in the way of, of them being at their peak performance. Um, hey, I've had my times where, uh, where I lost, where I lost control on trying to be the nice guy. Um, you know, there's certainly times where, where I've seen things happen I didn't like and, and, uh, I wasn't the nice guy anymore. Um, so I've been that guy a few times, but sometimes, uh, sometimes, you know, there's, there's things said or things done that just make you want it really, really bad. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that I have in my iPod that I listen to every day that I work out whenever I'm doing my cardio, I listen I literally have a compilation that I listen to that's I listen to the same exact words every day for 30 minutes and uh, one of them is Michael Jordan um, the day that they interviewed him after he had that unbelievable game when he had the flu and you know he just said you know I wanted it bad I just I wanted it really really bad and there's times where you're going to want it really, really bad. And all your niceness is going to get put to the side. And you're going to go out there and kick ass and take names. And, you know, there's there's been days um, that that's happened. I've, I've been out there with some of the nicest guys on the range you could ever imagine. And for whatever reason, they get pissed off. And, man, I've seen some people that just the freaking seven alarm goes off right in their eyeballs. And next thing you know, they just start stomping ass and watch out. You know, that happens. But um, I do think for the most part, especially in the pro class, um, you don't want to be that guy every day. You don't want to be that guy when your archery's over uh, because winning streaks come and go that's reality and that is life and that is the truth um, one thing that was really really hard for me Chuck was and I can tell you this right now um, I'll admit it to the world but there was there was many times where I had the reins pulled back on me really hard from Derek and 
Joel and Matt when I was at Matthews because I was an employee of Matthews and I was at a tournament and I couldn't be aggressive on the target, you know, on the target line because it was a reflection of Matthews. And, um, so there was just times where I was just, I was totally in a mental mindset to, to put the hammer down and just floor it. And I knew that I was ready to win. And I knew that the people I was shooting against, played mind games and that you had to dish it back and you had to freaking put the pedal down. You couldn't let up and you couldn't be a nice guy with some people, but I didn't have that option. It was made crystal clear to me. If I wanted to shoot, I just had to go and, and be nice. And a lot of times that did take away from my intensity. You know, when, when you have to do that, there's times where, I think every archer needs the time where he goes out there and just kicks everyone's ass so bad that the course and themselves and everybody else knows it, that that guy just freaking dominated. Um, and a lot of times that happens when you're just in a zone and you're the nice guy. You don't even really know what happened, what's happening. All of a sudden the day's over and it's like that. But then there's other days where something trips you into that. You know, it's no different than it's no different than when I was coaxed into shooting target archery. I never had interest in shooting target archery. Never had interest in I like shooting three D targets. I like shooting animal targets. Never wanted to shoot paper until that guy came up to me and said that I couldn't do it. So then I said, well, when is it? I mean, when is it? And, you know, I wasn't going to stand up and, be and, and you know, just get pushed around like that. So I showed up and freaking won. So it's a fine line, dude. And I can tell you from all the pros out there, you do a good job of not taking it too far. And I think there's a lot of archers out there that do. You know, you look at Danny McCarthy. He's one of the nicest guys there are out there. Nathan Brooks. Um, you know, there's a long list of them. But there's also the days where when those guys are on, you can see it in their eyes. They are focused and they are don't get in their way. They're out there, you know, they've got it set in their mind. Something is something has pushed them into freaking going after it and they're gonna go after it. And, you know, and there's gonna be targets where there's there's gonna be times on targets where there's bad calls and there's mad guys and everything like that. But in the end that's pro archery. And a day later we should all be able to call one another, and if you made a bad call, you need to be able to call the other guy and say, hey, I made a bad call today, and, uh, you know, or I made a mistake, and, you know, or I said something to you I didn't mean, and be able to move on. Uh, you know, I think we should all be able to do that. Uh, if you're doing it every single week, all day long, then obviously I think that's an issue. 
um, you need to be able to kind of almost have the Sylvester Stallone over the top thing. I think you need to be able to treat people respectfully. You need to be able to be a nice guy and uh, be professional. But I also think that people should have some understanding when you're in the middle of a tournament that you've prepared for that hard and uh, and you're in your zone and you're, you're focused and you're super intense because that's part of it. You know, that's what comes along with it. And I can tell you, there's been a few tournaments in my life where I've made a mistake. Um, you know, I've acted, I've acted in a tournament in the moment. And once I got home and calmed down and started thinking about it, I'm like, man, that wasn't the best thing I should have done. And I can tell you, I've always tried to call whoever it was that was affected and at least say, hey, you're probably going to be mad at me forever about this, but I'm just calling you to tell you that I know what I did uh, was, wasn't what I should have done. And I acted out of, you know, I acted out of the moment instead of acting out of a profession, you know. So uh, you have to just play it by ear. I think if you're intense and you win uh, and you do it uh, legally and without cheating, then I think people are going to appreciate your intensity. Um there is a saying that I used to go by, and I'm trying to remember it here while I'm kind of thinking quick. Um, and I'll probably remember it by the end of this podcast. Um, well, I guess I remember it now. So um, I've always taught my, my athletes and stuff because I do coach a lot. And the one thing that I can tell you that I do expect as a coach um is uh, when you win, be graceful, um, you know, and and when you lose, you also have to be grateful um, because the guy that did have the win that, that weekend, um, that's their moment. So you need to be, you know, you need to treat them with respect and allow them to enjoy their moment, not let your, you know, your second place affect the rest of the tournament. Um, you know, and when you do win, you know, you need to act with grace. You need to, to be a good winner and not a sore loser. Um, I hate that. You know, one of the awards that I have here that I was given, um, is a sportsmanship award. And out of all the awards that I have here in the house, I can tell you that, um, to get a sportsmanship award voted to me from, all the coaches uh, in my conference uh, just saying that I was always the athlete that that had the best sportsmanship before and after the game. Um, to me, that's something that I'm that I can be proud of. Uh, you know, the the wins come and go; they always do. Uh, but you're still going to see people in everyday life, and uh, you definitely don't want that one moment to be a reflection of you for a lifetime so you know hopefully that helps you big guy uh small guy now you're kind of shriveling down on me losing all this weight but uh for all you out there 
those are some pretty important things to keep in mind, especially any of you coming up in the ranks. Uh, you definitely want to be the guy that people like for a lifetime. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great pros out there that people have liked for a long time, and it's because they treated people professionally, and they were graceful when they when they won. They also were grateful for other people when they did. So. The next question I got here is from Jason Ross, um, and he's asking, saying, I was kind of curious, what is the edge guys get with a blade rest versus drop-away rest? Um, Started shooting better when I went to my fall-away rest versus his fixed rest. So I don't know specifically if you're um, talking about on a hunting bow, and you're talking like kind of a TM style hunter versus a fall away rest, or if you're talking target archery where you're talking a blade rest um, versus a fall away rest. So um, really the the pros and cons, um, when it comes to target archery, I really like a blade rest just because, I, like I said before, I really focus on simplicity. I don't like things going wrong. Um, and honestly... Uh, a blade is just super repetitive. I have had bows where I've spent the time to get a fallaway arrow rest set up for my target bows, and they've shot unbelievable. Uh, but it it is just a little bit more time consuming, and and actually this is more based on the fact that back when I was doing that, we didn't have the limb driven systems on the fallaway rests. Uh, all the fallaways were you know, directly to the cable. So there was kind of a really fine line there of having too much pressure or not, or, you know, when that actual rest was coming up and down, there was always a variance there. So it was a little bit tough, um, to really fine tune that. And a blade just takes that all away. You just have to really focus on your blade angle, which there's actually a question here from, from Miguel Angel Veliz Jr., um, you were asking about, you know, the arrow rest and how important the blade angle is. And it's very important because if your rest is set too low, um, you know, it can have a lot more bounce. If it's set too high, um, you can actually get what's called spring back. And that's when it starts to compress and then it kind of launches up and it throws your arrow high through the paper all the time. And no matter where you move your arrow rest, you consistently get that high tear. And it's because it's like giving you that little kickback. Um, so I always like to have my arrow rest set at about, you know, 32 to 36 degrees. Um, that's where I like them set. And depending on what stiffness of blade you have will really determine what that angle needs to be. Um, but I have found... Uh, I like to have a, a blade that, you know, has a little bit of give, so it's not, you know, putting too much pressure on the arrow. I like it to have a little bit of give so that if it does contact a little bit of a fletching or something, uh, it's still totally all right. Um, you know, I did have a bow one time with a follow-away rest, a target bow that was that shot amazing, but the problem was... Um, if that cord started to stretch at all, at least on my target bow, you know, I wasn't, 
I was always a lot more critical on my target bows than my hunting bows. Um, if my hunting bows are shooting good, I'm fine with it, but um, I don't expect them to shoot great. With my with my hunt target bows, I always expected nothing less than it had to be great. It had to be able to put arrows in the same exact hole all the time. Um, so I just was able to achieve that easier with a fixed blade rest. Um, when it comes to my hunting bow, the one thing that I will tell you is I do like the fallaway arrow rests because they give you the option for shooting multiple assortments of fletchings. Um, you can shoot four fletch, you can shoot super strong helical, you can shoot a five inch vein if you want, a five inch feather, you can shoot a six fletch, you can shoot, really shoot whatever you want because the rest is gone. It's not, doesn't have any type of contact. So uh, the one thing that I did have some issue with though was, you know, with the original followaways is just getting that length of the cord correct to where it wasn't putting too much pressure on the cable and causing inconsistency in shooting because there was too much pressure but I also didn't want it coming up too late because then it wasn't supporting the arrow enough so um, one year I was having a little bit of trouble finding consistency so I actually uh, tried a limb driven system I tried a trophy taker smackdown out of desperation um, and I was being stubborn about it because I didn't want a string attached to my limb. I kept thinking if I'm hunting and have this this limb-driven system, I'm just going to break it off. I'm going to have a problem. It's, it's not going to be any different. But I am here to tell you I stand corrected. Um, every tuning issue I ever had with the fallaway was gone as soon as I went to a limb-driven system. It was so easy to do. It was so repeatable. I like the fact that, you know, the arrow rest is up if you take the cord off of it. So when you, like, want to adjust your arrow rest in or out or up or down, you can just loosen the cord so your rest pops up. And then you can actually see where it's at. Whereas on the follow-away rest that attach to the cable, you actually have to take that out of the cable so that you can allow your rest to be up so you can get it set. So it kind of was a lot bigger pain in the butt. Um the limb-driven system has just proven to me to be way more consistent and repeatable. Um, it's definitely my preferred method now. Um, and actually, if I did get into serious target archery again, um, and I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, at least spending a day or two a week doing a little bit of experimenting with my backup bows, I would probably try a limb driven system on a target bow out of curiosity because i'm pretty sure i could probably have the same results as i do with the blades um, but the main thing is with your if you're shooting a launcher blade like i shoot a trophy taker spring steel 2 uh, with the best launcher i always shoot um, normally i shoot an eight thousandths blade with a ten thousandths cut in half that i put underneath the eight thousandths so the eight has support on itself down close to where it's screwed on the rest, but the top is still flexible, uh, which I really liked on arrows like what I shot for FIDA, uh, X-10s and Pro Tours and, and Pro Fields, that sort of thing. Um, if I was shooting, when I shoot 3D, like for example, 
I shoot 2312s or fat boys out of the bows that I set up for 3D. I normally shoot a, uh, a wide launcher and I'll either shoot, uh, depending on the arrow weight, either uh, normally it's a 10,000 blade, but I'll shoot the wide instead of the narrow just because I don't really like fighting, um, keeping a large diameter arrow on a blade in the wind. So I'll just set it up that way. So uh, hopefully that answers your questions. And that gets me through this list here of all of the questions that, that uh, I picked today. Um, I know that there were some I skipped over. So for those of you who I didn't pick out there, don't hold it against me. Uh, I might not have been in the mood or I might have felt that I had answered it enough times in a recent podcast, so I didn't really want to do the same thing back-to-back. So um, thanks again, everybody, for listening. Uh, Appreciate all the support. Appreciate everything that uh, so many great people out there, like like several of you that I mentioned today, are are doing in the world of professional archery. And, uh, you know, I guess if you want to have something that you could do to make me happy, uh, find one person in your community that wants to try archery for the first time and be the person to show them how. If you did that, I'll be happy. If not, you got to buy a knock-on hat or shirt. But being serious, I do appreciate all you guys very, very much. And uh, get out there. Enjoy archery. Summer's here. Time to smile. Time to get on some t-shirts. Get some tans. And... Uh, Get some blisters on the inside of your fingers from pulling arrows out of targets. So, knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.